Join me, please, in the Bible in Acts chapter 2, verse 12. I'm starting to get a little composed. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship this morning. It was, uh, it was quite an experience for me personally. How about for you? Praise God. And maybe this is a good verse to start with, uh, given the, uh, how worshiping God can re- kind of rattle you. It says here in Acts chapter 2, verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? <laughs> what does this mean? Can I ask you? What does this moving of the Spirit in our congregation mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? Can you tell me? Oh. Anybody else? Oh, wow. He's with us, people are saying. God is alive, people are saying. I think that's it. That's what it means. It's a good question. What does it mean that God would send his Holy Spirit to mankind? That's what they're referring to. We'll we'll, uh, talk a little bit more about that in a second. But I've been talking to you recently about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the effects of the Holy Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we know, is in Galatians chapter 5. There are nine qualities there to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. By the way, the word fruit is essentially never used in the plural. So I, don't, I wouldn't make too much of that the singular word fruit is used in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so on. I shared with you only recently in this series that I don't think we should limit the fruit to the nine because at the end of it says, and against such. We're supposed to get an idea of what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is like from those nine examples. And I even shared with you in the Word of God how the Holy Spirit produces other like qualities like hope and sincerity. Then there's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are nine of those named also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'll be talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit a little bit this morning, but I've added this category of, you know, my own word, the effects of the Holy Spirit. And I have uh, covered with you so far the following effects of the Holy Spirit, that it creates an encounter for mankind with the holiness of God. This is a life-changing experience to encounter the holiness of God personally and individually. Another effect of the Holy Spirit is that there will be a focus on the person of Jesus Christ. This is the effect of the Holy Spirit. He will have us zero right in on the person of Jesus Christ. Any spirit that strays from that bullseye, Jesus Christ, is not the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy, another Holy Spirit effect that I've covered with you is that it, the Holy Spirit will create a real experience and a relationship between a human being and God. It will be more than even a relationship. It will be an experience, a tangible experience with God. Hallelujah. And finally, this morning, I'm going to cover another effect of the Holy Spirit, and that is that the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, a meaning or a message is implied by the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a message, and his arrival is a message from heaven. We'll explore that idea more this morning. In chapter 2, verse 12, it reads that people were amazed and perplexed and they asked one another, what does this mean? You see, when the Holy Spirit comes and when the Holy Spirit fills his people, there is a message to it and you can rightfully and justly ask the question, what does this mean? Because it means something when the Holy Spirit visits Praise God. If we back up, we'll see exactly what they're referring to. We can back up to verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What does this mean? Well, the tongues that they spoke were miraculous and linguistically meaningful. Verse 5 says, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all, aren't all these uh, who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language. Now there's quite a list of nations and provinces here. In verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia. Those are people from the east. Judea, those are people from right around Jerusalem. Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Phrygia, Pamphylia, those are people from what we might call today Turkey, the area of Turkey or of uh, that, that region. Then it's set, so that's, we'll call that to the north and the west. That's north and west of Jerusalem. We've gone now to the east to the north, to the west. Then it says Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Now we're going south. We've gone to all four compass points in, these, in this list of nations. And in case uh, um, they would be left out, it says visitors from Rome, which was the capital of the world at that time. Verse 11 says, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, those are people from the island of Crete, and Arabs, kind of a miscellaneous thrown in at the end. 
in case we didn't cover you, we got some Cretans and some Arabs here too. And they all say we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. North, west, south, east, like the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10, where Genesis chapter 10 outlines the origin of the nations from the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Japheth went north and west. Ham went south. Shem stayed in the area of the Middle East and went, and, and went further east. Shem, Ham, and Japheth in the table of nations in Galatians chapter 10. And this list of nations would remind us of that. All of this has import to the question, what does this mean? This visitation of the Holy Spirit and this enabling to speak all these languages from, in, in their words, every nation in the world. It means that the salvation plan is for the nations and this will be an effect of the Holy Spirit. That's why we have a table of nations in Genesis chapter 10 because God knows the nations. All of them. He is the God of the nations. His plan has never been and never will be for one nation. His plan is for all the nations. Hallelujah. Can I hear a praise the Lord? Psalm 22 verse 27 says, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Psalm 67 verse 1 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the people praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule in the peoples with equity and guide the nations out of the earth. May the people praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. That's what the visitation of the Holy Spirit of God to an upper room in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost means it means that God is reaching out to all peoples of the world. Praise God. Psalm 117.1 says, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. What does it mean? It means that God is crossing national boundaries. God is crossing geographic boundaries, geopolitical boundaries, cultural boundaries. That's what it means. The Holy Spirit is going to be involved in our homes. 
in a very personal and micro way, local way. I'll give you an example. A couple years ago, my wife lost her wedding wedding ring. Oh, she tore the house apart looking for it, couldn't find it. One day after another, you know, broke open the vacuum cleaner and overturned everything in the bedroom, the sheet, you know, the sheets, the blankets, the pillows, this and that. I didn't help her too much. Maybe I should feel bad about it. It's got to be in the house someplace. I don't, I don't, she only takes it off, you know, on certain occasions when she's washing something or doing dirty work of some sort. It's got to, it's got to be in the house. It's got to be in the property, on the property here someplace. A couple days go by. I'm sitting someplace in my house. I don't remember quite where I was. And the Lord told me where it was. You may not believe it, but I want to tell you the circumstances and then you're going to believe it. My wife's wedding ring. I didn't help her much for a couple days. The Lord told me, he gave me a picture of it in my mind of the wedding ring sitting on a white shelf down in our laundry room next to where we keep baskets full of dirty laundry. He didn't tell me how it got there. Now you have to understand that I wouldn't even go in the laundry room for weeks at a time sometimes. It was way in the corner of our basement on when we lived on Maple Drive. Uh, Brother Breck and Sister Michelle and Slate and their family live there now. I would go weeks. I, I would gather maybe a month or two sometimes without even going in that room. Well, I just got up. And I said to myself, I'm going to get the wedding ring. I walked down, I walked into the room, I walked right over to the corner of the white shelf, and there was the wedding ring right there. Bang, got it. That's what you call a word of knowledge. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Lord could give a word of knowledge like that to even somebody who's not filled with the Holy Spirit, could even give a message like that to somebody who's not even saved. Why wouldn't, why couldn't the Lord? The Lord could, it's just that God knows everything, agreed? God knows everything, and he can let us in on what he knows sometimes. And you don't learn it, you don't study it. You don't figure it out. I didn't sit there and figure out, well, she looked everywhere else in the whole house except for this one square inch, so by process of elimination, it's got to be on that one square inch. It didn't work like that. I just knew where it was. I went down. I picked it up. I said, I got your ring. Where'd you find it? I told her. I told her God told me where it was. God will be involved in your home. God will move in your home. God will help you at home. God will help you in a personal and wonderful way. That wasn't just for me. That was for my wife to encourage her that God is in our home. That God is involved in us and God is involved in our marriage. That was an encouraging thing to my wife. But it's also for you and that's why I'm sharing it with you today. I might have shared it once time before. But it's not all about us. It's not all about us and our marriages and our our wedding rings. The Holy Spirit is not all about us. It's not all about you. In Mark 13, 10, Jesus said, the gospel must first be preached to all nations. 
He said before the end comes, the very end comes, the gospel must be preached to all nations. And whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Now let's look at the effect of the visitation of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Let's go on to verse 37. It says here, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Now this is after Peter preaches to them a sermon. And I already talked with you last week about how the gifts of the Holy Spirit had to be operating in Peter by the Holy Ghost in order for him to do what he did that day. How did he even know when the Galileans were filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, how did he even know that it was time to preach a sermon? I got filled with the Holy Ghost on a winter night in December of 1975. I had been saved for 24 hours approximately. I got filled with the Holy Ghost. Then I was going to be baptized in water. First I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then I was going to be baptized in water. Brother Bob uh, Mazer interviewed me before my baptism and it didn't go so well because I could hardly speak English. I was moved by the Holy Spirit. Anyway, I got down in the tank. Brother Bob Dean baptized me down there in the tank. And while I was praying before getting dunked, I had a vision of myself preaching the gospel. You have to understand, I had never gone to church in my life. I, and I had only been to Living Word Church. This was my second meeting at Living Word Church. And Brother Bob and nobody else preached in either one of those services. So I have yet, that night, I had yet to hear and see the preaching of the word of God. But I had a vision of myself preaching and my arms up like this, you know how I do. I'm just fulfilling a prophetic vision. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord gave me a vision of myself preaching. I knew that was 24 hours after I gave my life to Christ that I was a preacher. And you know, I don't have to say this, you know, I just put the pedal to the metal and I went straight at it. I preached my first sermon in March of 1976. I don't know if it was before or after my 18th birthday. It was around the time of my 18th birthday. On a Sunday night, we all came to church and Brother Bob said, as he would do in those days, the church was, you have to understand, the church was quite a bit smaller. He would say, does anybody have a word to share? Who's got a word to share? Stand up. In the, in the moment, stand up. You, got, you have something you want to share with the church. I stood right up. I had something I wanted to share with the church. This would be my first sermon. He says, you... I don't know if he knew my name yet. Come on up here. You got five minutes. That was good, you know. I didn't know if I was going to be able to take up five minutes. And I don't think I went too much over time. About five minutes. I remember what I preached to this day. I could share it with you sometime, but I remember what I preached, and I preached. It was my first sermon 
as a human being and as a member of Living Word Church, I was either 17 or 18 years old. I told you I was just going to go right at it. God gave me a vision. Well, Peter preached a sermon. Before he preached the sermon, the question was, what does this mean? Peter preached a sermon. The question after the sermon is, what do we do? Oh, that is like, that is like saying in capsule form, God's work in the hearts of human beings. First you ask, what does it mean? Then you ask, what do I do? After you figure out what it means, then you ask, okay, this demands a response. What do I do? First you wrestle with what God is saying to you. Then you wrestle with what do you do about it? How do you respond? Can I hear an amen? That is God's work. That is the work of the Holy Spirit right there. This is the right progression of questions from what does it mean to what shall we do? Well, watch this. Watch what the Holy Spirit does and see if the meaning is borne out. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. We're going to run through the whole book of Acts this morning and touch down in a few places that will represent the whole story of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God. You've got to understand Jerusalem and Samaria are a few miles apart. Oh, 15 miles apart, 20 miles apart. In those days, a pretty good hike. A day or two of travel in those days They sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Samaritans in Samaria. Verse 18 says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought that you could buy the gift of God with money? You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus. Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Samaria is both the name of a city and the name of a region. 
uh, it's the name of a city inside the region. You might, you know, uh, think about the village of Manlius and the town of Manlius. You know, the town of Manlius is bigger, has several different towns in it. It's got Jamesville in it. But there is a, a village, Manlius, inside the town of Manlius. There was a, to- a town of Samaria inside the region of Samaria. There are lots of lessons about the Holy Spirit in this passage. One is that the coming of the Holy Spirit on people is a distinct act of God's grace, distinct from salvation. The Bible says these people in Samaria had already received the word of God. They were new believers. They had been baptized in the name of Jesus. They were Christians. They were new converts to Christianity. They wouldn't have baptized them if they didn't truly believe. The Bible says they believed. The Bible calls them new believers. And all Christians have received the Holy Spirit to make us born again. It is the Holy Spirit that enables us to be born again. So they had already received the new birth, but being filled with the Holy Spirit was a second act of God's grace in their lives. We learn that from this passage. We also see that the leaders of God's people wanted them to receive the gift of God. Uh, Peter calls in verse 20, the Holy Spirit, he calls it the gift of God. They were filled with the Holy Spirit when when the apostles laid hands on them and they received the gift of God. This is after baptism. After believing, after receiving the word of God, this passage says they received the word of God, they were new believers, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Am I reading it right? But they had not been filled with the Holy Spirit yet, and they got filled with the Holy Spirit and received the gift of God. Not the gift of salvation. They had already received the gift of salvation. They received something that this man Simon saw. Whoa, baby. The apostles laid hands on these Samaritan people and something happened. Something clearly visible, observable happened such that this man said, I want to be able to do what you guys just did. Am I reading it right? We can learn here that the gift of the Holy Spirit can be received through the laying on of hands when some believers pray for other believers, putting their hands on them, Uh, Back in the early 1900s, a revival took place, which we refer to affectionately as, as the Azusa Street Revival. The gift of tongues had gone out of use. Uh, In most of the churches, in most places, the use of the gift of tongues had become rather rare, and a group of people had become dedicated to finding out about this gift of tongues. They read their Bibles. They didn't see anywhere in their Bible why it should cease. 
So even people who were not yet filled with the Holy Spirit laid their hands on other people who were not filled with the Holy Spirit and they got filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. Hallelujah. And then the ones who got filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues turned around and laid their hands on the ones that were just laying their hands on them and they got filled with the Holy Spirit. Once in a while, we've had people in our own church who weren't so sure about the gift of tongues and weren't so sure if they were on board with the gift of tongues. I tell them, well, why don't you come up front in the church when we're praying to be filled with the Holy Ghost and start praying for other people to receive the gift, even though you haven't received it yourself yet? And Maybe they will, and then maybe we'll turn around and pray for you and you'll receive it too. We also learn that something clearly happened to the people who were filled. The reception of the Holy Spirit has observable and unmistakable results. The gift of tongues is not mentioned specifically. What is mentioned is that Simon saw. Simon observed some notable result to the laying on of hands of these Samaritan Christians. The gift of tongues is not mentioned, but it certainly would suffice as a plausible, a believable answer to the question, what exactly was the result that they observed? The gift of tongues would definitely fill the bill. It would, it would satisfy the, uh, the requirement that something observable and clear happened at the moment, at the same time that the apostles laid their hands. Now, uh, it might have also been a healing. But I believe that if it was supernatural and miraculous healings, that that would have been, uh, honestly, I think that would have been spelled out for us. And that in the absence of any other specific detail, it was the gift of tongues that was observed. But now, as for meaning, let's go back to the original question. What does this mean? What does this mean when the apostles go into Samaria and lay hands on some brand new Christians and those new Christians have some sort of very observable and tangible result take place? Something happens to them when the apostles lay their hands on them. It's quite attention grabbing. Well, I want to remind you of what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And do you remember what he said now? In Jerusalem, that had already taken place when Peter preached that sermon. When they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they each, using the gift of tongues, proclaimed God's goodness to the people from all the nations of the world. Then Jesus said, and in all Judea and Samaria. Jesus specifies that you will go forward and preach the gospel in Samaria. And so what does it mean when the Holy Spirit visits new Christians in Samaria? Then Jesus said, and to the ends of the earth. 
You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is creating an expanding circle of regions there. From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Bigger, bigger, bigger. Concentric, enlarging circles. It's happening in Acts chapter 8. It's happening. The word and the spirit are spreading to Samaria. Not only ideas are spreading. Not only information is spreading. Not only news is spreading. Not only teaching. Not only commitment. Commitment spread. The word of commitment. These people became new believers. These Samaritans became new believers. The information spread to them that Jesus Christ is Lord and died to save us from our sins and rose again on the third day. They believed it. They accepted it. They got the information. They made the commitment. But something else was spreading besides the information, besides the news, besides the commitment, besides the decision. And that's the meaning of the, what's left is the meaning of the Holy Spirit coming. And the meaning is, you need to experience God personally and for yourself. You've got to experience him. Not only news, not only commitment, not only decision, an experience And if this was tongues, if indeed this was tongues that was the sign that the Holy Spirit had come upon them, this was a a manifestation of the Spirit that reaches beyond human understanding. Remember what it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 13? For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit praise, but my mind is unfruitful. You see, now the Christian experience in Samaria has gone beyond the mind, has gone beyond the intellect, has gone beyond information, wonderful information, wonderful news. Jesus Christ came to this earth. Such a story, such information, but it's gone beyond data. Beyond information, beyond news, even beyond commitment, even beyond decision. They had all made the decision. They were baptized, weren't they? The Samaritans were baptized in the name of Jesus. Do you know why? Because they had made a decision for Jesus Christ. But decision, not enough. Commitment, not enough. Information, not enough. As good as the good news is, news is not enough. Data is not enough. You've got to experience God. Above and beyond your your intellect and your mind. I could just hear Peter and John praying over the Samaritan Christians. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How many of you would like us to pray for you this morning in that same way? Would you pray for me? Ah, you see, you're a little little reluctant. 
you're a little reluctant to respond. Yeah. For to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Samaritans were second-class citizens. You know the story, right? They were second-class citizens. They were religiously corrupt, and they were mixed with pagan blood. They were not accepted in Jerusalem's temple. Bad family. The, the thing that hovered over the Samaritans was bad family, bad history, corrupt, untouchables, disgusting, uncouth by the Jewish people. Off base. We love them, but they're disgusting. We love them, but they're untouchable. We love them, but they're off base. We love them, but they're uncouth. We love them, but they're mixed with paganism. You know what? Whoever would talk like that should stop saying we love them because it doesn't sound like love to me. It doesn't look like love to me. In fact, it smacks of hate. Call it for what it is. You think of somebody uncouth, disgusting, second-class citizen, inferior, not cutting it, untouchable, not welcome. That's a pretty good definition of hate. Don't say you love them if you think of them like that and treat them like that. Because what, how you're actually relating to them is pretty close to hate. They were often the center of Jesus' attention. We read in the Gospels of Jesus stopping at a Samaritan well and talking to a Samaritan woman by the well. She was, you might say, disgusting in some ways. She was uncouth, no question about that. She was unclean, and Jesus shocked her by talking to her, talking to her kindly, nicely, hopefully, opened the doors for her, made a way for her. Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember, the religious ones walked past the man who was beaten and left for dead on the Jericho Road. But a Samaritan went over to him and took care of him and brought him to an inn and told the innkeeper, here's a little bit of money if there any more money is required to get this guy back in health. Let me know, I'll pay that too. Whatever it costs. A Samaritan. Jesus pointed out it was a Samaritan. You see, Jesus wanted to cross that national boundary. He wanted to cross that ethnic boundary. He wanted to cross that cultural boundary. God's people will be from all cultures. God's people will be from all ethnicities. God's people will be from all sides of the track. God's people will be from all nations. think God could have you share the love of Christ with a Muslim? Would you do it? Oh no, they're, they're enemies, they're unclean, they're violent. I'm not, it's a terrible religion. Devil, devil, devil. Well, why don't you just say it then? You hate them. Oh no, I don't hate them. 
I wish them well, but I just won't have anything to do with them. Listen to yourself. Listen to yourself. Because the the effect of the Holy Spirit is to cross national boundaries, to cross ethnic boundaries, to cross cultural boundaries. That is the effect of the Holy Spirit. There's no back back, uh, seat in the bus. Let's go to Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, we see how the Holy Spirit is working on ethnic Europeans for the first time. Cornelius is an Italian. He's from Europe. He is not a Jew that was scattered in the diaspora and sent to Rome. He was a native Italian, an ethnic Italian, a real European. Now, to the Jews of Jesus' day, the Europeans were second-class citizens. The Europeans were inferior. Now, you know, in many ways, the Europeans are thought of as, you know, the upper crust of the worlds of the world. You know, not, that's not third world. That's first world. Europe is first world. But in Jesus' day, the Europeans were looked down at by the Jewish people. Acts chapter 10, verse 27 While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. He said this as he's crossing the threshold and going into Cornelius' house. You're aware that what I'm doing right now is taboo amongst Jews. I'm not supposed to be doing this. I'm breaking the law, but I have an idea what's going on here, and what's going on here is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is reaching across ethnic, national, and cultural boundaries. So I'm crossing this threshold. I'm entering into this door. My culture, my ethnicity, my religion, my nation treats you as disgusting and unclean. They treat you like we hate you. But I'm coming in your house with the love of God. It's a long story why Peter was even willing to do this. Read the first 26 verses of the book of Uh, Acts chapter 10, and you'll see that uh, it took a repeated spiritual vision to get over, to get Peter over his ethnic and cultural reservations. Peter was not an easy sell, and that's because he had been conditioned, conditioned religiously, don't cross those boundaries. If you cross those boundaries, you become unclean. It's unclean on that side of the boundary. It's clean on this side of the boundary. Don't cross that boundary. He had been conditioned to that. And I want to tell you, my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, in Living Word Church right here, it's going to be challenging for us now too to cross ethnic, spiritual, national, cultural boundaries with the love of God. But that will be the effect of the Holy Spirit in your life. You may need to be filled with the Holy Spirit afresh. You may have thought of these other peoples as, ugh. You may have thought of these other peoples as repulsive. 
these other cultures and these other ways and these other uh, habits as, ah, uh, repulsive, I I don't like it, Uh, disgusting, they're not my people, bad family. Okay, but don't say you love them. If you're going to think about them like that, if you're going to treat like them like that, don't, don't say that you love them. And are you even going to be able to say that Jesus loves them without being a hypocrite? I'm talking straight to you today. It's not a Christian message, a Christmas message. It's a Holy Spirit message. Uh. The King James Bible says in verse 28, it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. As you know, while Peter was preaching the gospel to Cornelius in his home, the Holy Spirit fell on Europeans, Italians, fell on Europeans, and the Bible specifies that they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And this was amazing to Peter, and it's the same message as was given in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell and they spoke in tongues of the nations of the world. It's the same message. It's the effect of the Holy Spirit. The effect is crossing cultural, ethnic, national boundaries with the love of God. I know you don't like it, all of you. I know it, I know it, feels, I, it feels awkward and you're resistant. I know. I know it's challenging to reach out beyond your own kind. We've gotten very comfortable with our own kind. We're a church for 50 years now. We've gotten very comfortable with our own kind. Such that we can even say to people that are not our own kind, we don't want you around here, you're not our kind. We don't want your kind around here. I'm going to tell you that the effect of the Holy Spirit is going to be go across the threshold. Go through the door. I'll qualify it. Don't worry, I'll qualify it. Don't take, me at, don't take my words out of context. Chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. What they're talking about there is Cornelius and all of his kin and friends who received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised and didst eat with them. Horror of horrors to them. Unclean! You ate with them? What? Peter, have you gone off your rocker? A legalist does not eat with a European. You don't enter his house. Peter was trained to look down at the European, at the European pagan. Peter had that perspective. Like a religiously sanctified, sanctioned hate for the European. 
I'm not saying that Peter is supposed to now that he serves Jesus Christ to go in every European household just to be a progressive guy. This is my qualification. Here's my qualification. It doesn't mean we belong every place. It doesn't mean we should go into every household. But what if the Lord is there? We need to be willing to cross ethnic boundaries, cultural boundaries, The Holy Spirit wasn't on them yet when Peter crossed the threshold. We have to be willing to cross the historical boundaries. Only one common denominator is required, and that is hunger for Jesus Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit. The fear of God was in Cornelius' house. Good works were in Cornelius' house. Prayer was in his house. Spiritual hunger, spiritual leadership was in his house. Reverence was in his house. Willingness to learn was in his house. Peter belonged there. You know, God helped Peter along. Gave him like the perfect case to cross the threshold into a European's home. It was, per- it was the perfect scenario. But it was a scenario that w- had a message to it. Go back to the question, what does it mean? It means that God wants to save all people. Ethnic, historical, cultural boundaries are meaningless. They're meaningless to the Holy Spirit. How should they be divisive to us if they're, if they're meaningless to the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 15, verse 8. I told you we'd get all the way through the book of Acts and we're almost done. Peter's explaining what happened at Cornelius' house. Peter says in Acts 15, 8, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. What does it mean when the Holy Spirit falls among us and gives us gifts that can clearly be observed by anyone? It means that God has called us to a mission to the nations. God has called you to a mission to all the different kinds of people right here in Syracuse, New York, and right here in central New York. We've got quite a melting pot here, don't we? Acts chapter 19, our last stop-off in the book of Acts. Verse 1, Acts 19, 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. That's in Turkey the modern nation of Turkey. There he found some disciples. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, "John's." they mean John the Baptist, who said to many people, repent and prepare ye the way of the Lord. There's somebody coming after me whose, whose shoes I'm not worthy to undo. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Well, they heard John's message only. They must have had to move away to Ephesus. Verse 4, Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. 
he told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do you think that the Apostle Paul was going to baptize them in the name of the Lord Jesus if they were not Christians? If they were not believers? If they had not received Jesus as their Savior? You see, the information was improving. Paul was giving them better and better information, but the information's not enough. The news is improving. They learn about, they learn about things about Jesus that they knew, never knew before. That's all good. That's all to the good. More information, more of the story, more of the gospel. They were committed. They got baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul made sure they were, ba- they were committed. They had made a decision for Christ. They were committed to Christ. Still, it's not sufficient in the mind of the apostle Paul. He wants more for them, and he lays hands on them. Verse 6, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. (coughs) And so the church of Ephesus was started there. Luke's pattern, Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. Luke has this pattern of the gospel going geographically farther and farther through the entire book of Acts. First it was the Jews in Jerusalem, tongues. Then the Samaritans, tongues not mentioned specifically, but something that was clearly observable. Then an ethnic European in Caesarea, tongues again. Then an ethnic people in worldly cosmopolitan Ephesus. Tongues again. What's the meaning? The meaning is that the word must go further. The word should not be stopped by ethnic and cultural barriers. God didn't call us to circle the wagons and protect our subculture and leave our worldly mission at that. We've got to do that. But that's not the end of our mission. We are to be missional. And wherever the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will be missional. It's not all about us. It's not all about blessing us. It's not all about making us feel good. It's not all about edifying us. It's about seeing the gospel go out and reach and touch people across every kind of human boundary. Hallelujah. The love of God. The salvation of God. This is how the Holy Spirit moves. Can I hear an amen? That's the Holy Spirit meaning. He called us to spread the faith of Jesus. He called us to spread his teaching. He called us to share the information. But he also called us to promote and and facilitate a personal experience with the Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, if I may say it this way, to pound down the gates of hell. For the gates of hell will not prevail against the offense of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Holy Spirit is on the offensive and he will pound down the gates of hell. Somewhere we got it into our head that the gates of hell are coming at us. 
Now, the gates of hell don't come at us. We go at the gates of hell and pound them down by the power of the Spirit. Hallelujah. I'll, I'll say what I said, I don't know if it was a year or two ago. Many of you have not brought someone to church in years. Many of you in this room never witness to anybody. You don't. You've kind of made up your mind that you're not going to. That it's not your business. It's not your job. I want to make it easy for you. I want to make it easy on you. You don't have to get into doctrine with people. You don't have to, you don't have to get into uh, figuring out a way to get them from point A to the sinner's prayer. Never mind getting them from point A to the sinner's prayer. Invite people to your home fellowship. Invite people to church. Just invite them. Invite them to your dinner table. How about if you come on over for dinner and then be yourself and talk your faith and, be your, and be, uh, reach out to people from your heart. There are too many people in this living, Holy Spirit anointed, Holy Spirit called church who have never led someone to Christ. I told you that a year or two ago. Have you changed anything? Or are you just set in, in, in your own sort of spiritual stone? No, I don't do that. I wonder if you hate sinners then. Do you hate them? No, I love them. But you won't invite them to church? You won't invite them to home fellowship? Your home's not open? You won't go and visit them? Maybe you shouldn't say you love them. Maybe you shouldn't say God loves them. And maybe that's why you don't. The mission of the Holy Spirit is to cross those boundaries, to not be held back by those boundaries. I want God to move on you right now, right this minute, and speak to your hearts right this minute. Be offended with me for a minute, but get, be, get past that. Get beyond that and say, what does this mean, Jesus? Talk to him about it. Talk to the Holy Spirit about it. What does this mean? And then when you figure out what it means, ask him, what do I do? Go from what, it was, what does it mean to what do I do? I know some of you have had a little bit of trouble adjusting to me after Brother Bob. Okay, let me give you this then. Can I once in a blue moon talk to you really straight like he talked to you all the time? Have I got that with you after 50 years of serving you? Why don't we witness? Why don't we invite people to church? Why don't we have anything to do with sinners? Nothing to do with sinners. Don't talk to them. Don't invite them places. Don't have a coffee with them to talk about their souls. Why? I'm thinking we might hate them. It's not the Holy Spirit.
The Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Isn't it? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Now, I've seen a great change in this church. I've seen a great turn in this church. I've seen a great growing of interest. You know, maybe starting when we started the food pantry. I'm so glad Brother Bob had it on his heart to start the food pantry. Praise the Lord. By the way, we need more help there. We need dedicated people to help make that food pantry run. And then Brother Scott and Sister Jean, they want to start the, the clothing thing at the same time when we're, when we're uh, kind of reeling under the weight of the food pantry already. We're spread thin in many ways. I see a great change taking place in the church. A great turning outward. A turning outward. Concern for others. A smile on our faces. To represent Jesus Christ and put our candle on a, on a lampstand instead of under a bushel. It's a wonderful thing to see. I'm an idealist though. I want everybody involved. I want everybody pulling together in that way. And I know we still have a lot of folks in our church that you just don't want to invite people to church, invite them to home fellowship. Just invite them. Just ask them to come. It's a Bible home fellowship. We, we study the Bible. We pray for each other. We get to know each other. We share our hearts. It's very non-threatening. Come on, join us. I'll pick you up. Oh, I feel funny going to somebody's house who I don't even know. You know me. I'll be there. Come on. It's great. Come on, represent Jesus. Let those circles go out from Jerusalem to Samaria. Out from Samaria to a European. Out from a European to Ephesus, that pagan city, that pagan worldly city. And people got filled with the Holy Ghost there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, in the name of Jesus, thank you for coming to this world. You said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. That's what you said, therefore go. Oh, Lord, may we go. Today and this weekend is a good time to talk to somebody about Jesus, to invite somebody to church, to invite somebody to home fellowship, to invite somebody to a bridge meeting. A bridge, a lunch, a coffee, a visit, a hike, a walk, a gesture of love. Help us, O oh Lord, not to be root-bound and so concerned and taken up with ourselves and protecting ourselves that we have forgotten the Holy Spirit mission. O oh Lord, we need you. Oh, Lord, we're willing. Oh, Lord, we'll do whatever you want us to do. Oh, Lord, we'll obey. Oh, Lord, it's such a pleasure, oh God, to speak to people for you. Cross those boundaries.